Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we are back in verses 24 through 29 today. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 983. I'd like to begin by reading through the text, then I'll offer a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much for this Sunday morning. Lord, we love gathering together as a church family to enjoy fellowship with each other and then to worship you. And Lord, thank you for the gift of your word and for the text that we're considering today. Lord, as we continue to work through Paul's description of his ministry, would you help us to see the principles that we might apply to our ministry today? Lord, use this text to give us a renewed appreciation for your son, his person and work, and for the salvation that we enjoy because of him. And I pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Now, over the course of the 20th century, our society became less Christian and more complex. And this caused a lot of angst among church leaders. They fear that pastors and churches were becoming irrelevant to the contemporary world. And so many leaders began reimagining the role of pastors to try to make them relevant to the times. And last week, we discussed some of the ways in which the pastorate has been reimagined. Some have have reimagined the pastor as a chaplain, others as a uh, CEO, still others as a community organizer. And they have taken these steps, again, in the hopes of making pastors relevant to the times. But ironically, I believe these reimagined pastorates have actually hastened our society's move away from biblical Christianity. Friends, if we want Christianity to thrive in our culture, the way to do it is not by re-envisioning what pastors and churches should do. Instead, it should involve rediscovering what Christ has ordained for pastors and churches. We cannot hope to be relevant, to make an impact if we are moving away from Christ's will for the church. And the message the pastors preach, 
We must not look for new messages, but rather the timeless message of Christ and Him crucified. This is what the world needs. This is our distinctive voice. And this leads us into today's text. Again, we are in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, where the Apostle Paul describes the nature of his ministry to the believers in Colossae. But as we have worked through this passage and then compared it to other New Testament texts, what we found is that these descriptions of ministry are not unique to Paul. Rather, they describe what ministry is to be like for church leaders in general and for all time. Last week, we looked at verses 24 and 25. And we began by noting the title that the Apostle Paul gives for himself. Verse 25, he describes himself as a minister. Minister. So, not a chaplain, not a CEO, not a community organizer, but a minister. And the word minister literally means servant. And so we learned here that a a Christian leader, and specifically a pastor, is a servant of Christ and of the church. And what are these servants of Christ called to do? Well, we saw last week that first, these servants of Christ are called to suffer for the church. That was verse 24. See, friends, our Lord Jesus died for his church. And in a similar way, Christ calls his ministers to suffer persecutions and dangers and exhaustion and emotional pain for the church. And in so doing, they make the love of Christ visible to his saints. Second, we saw that uh, pastors are also servants called to see their work as a sacred stewardship. So it is not their task to make things up as they go. It's their task to receive the responsibilities that they have been given by the head of the church, Christ. And then they are to faithfully execute those responsibilities. And friends, understanding this brings an end to all frivolity in ministry. It brings an end to all the work of trying to reimagine our roles as pastors. And it makes us deadly serious about what Christ has called us to do, knowing he will hold us to account for it. And then thirdly, we looked at the task of a true gospel minister. That's at the bottom of verse 25. Their task is very simple. It's to make the word of God fully known. You see, God's words are the most important words ever spoken. And the Word of God incarnate is the most important person who has ever walked this earth. But not everybody knows about God's words or about the Word. And so God raises up a group of men. He puts them into ministry. They are his ministers and his pastors. And God calls them to communicate the words of God so that they will become fully known. And it's a lifelong task because the need is very great and because the words of God are inexhaustible in their riches. Now, friends, all of this is material that we covered last week. Now we're going to move into new territory. And your sermon outline says that there will be four points to my message. Well, actually, there's only going to be one. As I continued working through the text this week, I realized I was not going to get very far. We will only be looking at verses 26 and 27 
That's the first point on your outline. This point concerns the emphasis of the minister's teaching. We saw in the prior point that his task is to make the Word of God fully known. But more specifically now, or or the particular emphasis of his ministry should be this, to disclose the mysteries of Christ. So this, this is his primary job. Make the word of God fully known, and in particular, as God's word relates to the mysteries of Christ. Now, what is a mystery? Well, in the scriptures, a mystery is a spiritual truth that was once known only to God. But now, by divine revelation, it has been made public. It's available to all. This is what a mystery is. And here's how this concept relates to Christ. Well, friends, right from the moment that Adam and Eve fell into sin, God was there promising to them that he would bring a Savior and that this Savior would make atonement for their sins. He would destroy the power of the devil who had tempted them to sin. And little by little, over the course of the millennia, God revealed more and more information to his people about this Savior, this Christ. But but before Christ actually came, there were still all of these mysteries associated with him. So as much as God had revealed about Christ, there was still much that was left unknown about him. Let me give you just a a few examples. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, God said this about the coming Christ. He said, quote, A child will be born, and a son will be given, and his name shall be called Mighty God. Now, this was an amazing revelation that that the Christ would be a, a child born of a woman. But then it says he would also bear the title Mighty God. And so here was the mystery. How how could these two truths stand together? How could a child born of a woman also be called the Mighty God? See, this was a mystery. Mystery that was revealed after Christ finally came. And we learned about the miracle of the incarnation, how how Christ was in reality God's eternal son. God sent him into the world and gave him a human nature that that would be in addition to his divine nature so that this one Christ would be one person with a dual nature, fully divine, fully human. But this was unknown in Isaiah's time. Or here's another mystery. Isaiah 7, verse 14, God said, I will give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So Christ would be recognized when he came because he would be born of a virgin. But again, there's a mystery here. How could a woman bear a son if she's never known a man? 
Well, once again, after the coming of Christ, this mystery was revealed. Christ would be would be sent into the womb of the Virgin Mary through a miracle of God. That, that the same God who spoke this world into existence would speak that little baby into a mother's womb. Or here's another mystery, Isaiah 53. He will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. He will pour out his soul to death Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. So here God explains that Christ is going to bear the sins of his people and that he is going to die bearing those sins. But then it says, subsequent to his death, God is going to reward him with a kingdom and a crown. Now, here's the mystery. How how can this be? If Christ dies, how can God then reward him with a kingdom? Well, the mystery is revealed after Christ's coming. As we see him dying for the sins of the world and then being raised from the grave through the power of God on the third day. You see, before the coming of Christ, there were were many things taught about Christ, but there was still a lot that remained mysterious. Who exactly would he be? What exactly would he do? How would all of these disparate teachings from God fit together in this, this one Savior? But friends, this is the main emphasis of a pastor's ministry. It is to communicate the the words of God, making them fully known, and in particular, living as we are now in the New Covenant era, it is to explain the mysteries of Christ. Who is He? What did He do while He was here? What did His work accomplish? And how does that affect all people? That is the emphasis of a minister's message. And friends, there's another mystery about Christ, which was not known in former times, but is now known in our era. And this concerns the full impact of Christ's work. And now we're getting to Paul's real point here in Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27. See, Christ, when he came, came into the world through the nation of Israel. And this is why God had chosen Israel to be a special nation so many generations before. He was selecting this special nation and he was preserving them through time because his intention was to bring the Messiah, Christ, into the world through that nation. That's why God had a special covenant relationship with them. And you know, the people of Israel understood that they were a special nation, that, that God had made a special covenant with them, and they, they knew that Messiah would come through them. And they also understood that when Messiah came, he wouldn't just be a blessing for them, but that he would also bless all of the nations of the world. And yet they didn't understand exactly how all of that was going to work. The Messiah was going to be a Jew and the king of the Jews. He was going to be the fulfillment of God's promises to the children of Abraham. How how would this Savior bless the nations? 
What they didn't know at the time, but which we know today, is that Christ coming into the world would inaugurate a whole new era of redemptive history, a whole new dispensation which would have ramifications for the entire planet. This is what Paul is explaining in Colossians 1.27. Look what he says. In fact, let me start in verse 26. It says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to God's saints. And now here is this mystery concerning Christ. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, if those words are a little difficult to understand, let me take it to the parallel text in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. Listen to what Paul says there. He says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews, members of the same body as the Jews, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus with the Jews through the gospel. So this is the great mystery about Christ now revealed. You see, God had chosen the nation of Israel to be the vehicle through which Christ would come into the world. And God had promised tremendous spiritual blessings to Israel, which were directly connected to their Messiah. But what the Israelites did not understand at the time is that God was also planning to include non-Jews into his plans. And that God was going to move among all the nations of the earth subsequent to Christ's coming. And he was going to move on all of them to embrace his son. The the mystery revealed is that Christ wouldn't just be the king of the Jews, but that he would be the king of all the nations. And that the spirit of God would be poured out upon all nations, drawing a special people for God from all over the planet. Every language and tongue and people would come together into a single body called the church. This was the mystery. And the mystery was that the Spirit of Christ would now indwell people from all nations in equal measure and not just indwell the Jews. Friends, this was the secret revealed. And this is what Paul means when he says, um, this is the mystery, Christ in you. The mystery revealed is Christ in you. Remember, Paul is talking to Colossian believers. These were believers who were Gentile, not Jews. And they lived a good distance away from the borders of Israel. The mystery of Christ was that now his message would go out into all the world. He would make disciples of all the nations and his spirit would indwell all peoples even peoples outside the borders of God's chosen nation. The king of the Jews would also become the king of Asians and Europeans and Africans and Americans. And in exactly the same way that his spirit would indwell the Jewish people, it would also indwell all of these. The mystery revealed is Christ in you Gentiles. 
The mystery was the church of Jesus Christ, of which we are now all a part. And friends, what exactly does it mean to have Christ in us? Well, now I'm quoting the words of missionary Will Pounds, who has a wonderful explanation of the concept. He writes, Christ in you means Christ possessed. Christ in you means Christ experienced in all his power. Christ in you is his sovereign rule in your life. Christ in you is Christ's scepter from the center of your being over every facet of your personality. Christ in you is his power bringing every thought into captivity to him. Christ in you means the imperial sovereignty of Christ over your life. Christ in you means his filling you with his wonderful presence. Christ in you transforms your person until you become like Christ. Christ in you means he enters into you and becomes your life. Christ in you means his power is in you. You were without spiritual strength until Christ came into your life. You were dead in transgressions and sins, but now your spiritual victory is guaranteed. Christ in you means you are spiritually rich. Christ in you means honor and glory. Because he glorifies the places where he dwells. And then Paul adds, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is the guarantee of heaven and of the kingdom of God and of your crown and of your everlasting life and of a new heavens and a new earth which you will inhabit. This is the mystery. Christ has come. He has offered an all-sufficient sacrifice for sins. And he died for us, and he rose from the grave, and he ascended back to the right side of his Father, and one day he will come again to judge the living and the dead. But in the meantime, he is calling a people for himself from all the nations of the earth, and he is making them all equal partakers of his Spirit. He is making them all recipients of the promises once limited to the Jewish people. We are all part of this together now. Christ in us is the great mystery revealed in our era. My friends, this explains the Great Commission. You know, at the very end of Jesus' ministry, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he met with his disciples and he said this to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why did he give the great commission? Because now there was a universal outpouring of his Spirit. Now it wasn't just... God working with one special nation. It was God at work among all the nations. So all nations had to hear the message of Christ. They all had to be given the opportunity to respond in faith. 
This also explains the Apostle Paul's missionary work among the Gentiles. Paul did not spend his years traveling the highways and byways of Israel. No, he went beyond its borders. He went throughout the Roman Empire, planting churches and establishing them in the faith. Paul did not plant the church of Colossae, but he was deeply concerned for Colossae and wrote this letter to the believers there. My friends, this new outpouring of the Spirit and the giving of the Great Commission explains why Paul, a Jew, would be taking the gospel out to the Gentiles. A new era in redemptive history had been inaugurated. It also explains why Grace Baptist Church of Marshall exists. Have you ever thought about this? Our church is 2,000 years removed from the life of Christ. And we are 6,000 miles removed from the borders of Israel. And yet, here we are, constituted as a church family, worshiping Christ, the King of the Jews. Why are we here? It's because of the era in which we live. Christ has come, He's lived, He's died, He's risen again, He's launched a new era, the mystery revealed. Now it is the time of the church. It's the time for the gospel to be taken to all nations until His return. That's why Grace Baptist Church exists. This also explains our church's own mandate to send church planters and missionaries and Bible translators all over the world. Christ is the king of all people. His message must be proclaimed to all. We must make his word fully known. And friends, this is to define the work of Christ's ministers too. Their job or at least the lion's share of it, is simply spent communicating the mysteries of Christ to everyone that God should give them to minister to. That's the pastor's job. He's not there to to pass around petitions for people to to sign and submit to their legislators. He's, He's not there to opine on all the latest headlines in the newspaper. He's not there to build a brand that will attract a crowd and give him a, a power base. His job is simply this, to speak the words of God, and in particular, to disclose to all people the mysteries of Christ, who he is, what he did, what his work accomplished, and why all people everywhere should believe in him. My friends, what an amazing time to be alive, is it not? I know that we can sometimes get pessimistic about our age. I mean, we've got a pandemic on our hands. I mean, there is all kinds of political turmoil. The, the economic situation isn't great. And it's so easy to, to get discouraged and to, you know, to become nostalgic about former times. Friends, I would not want to live in any time but this one right now. This is the time that God has called us to live. He chose the place of our birth, the time of our birth, and He has given us the high privilege of ministering the Word at this time in history. And isn't it a great time to be in? 
to live in the time when the church is being built up all over the world, when, when Christ is indwelling Jews and Gentiles alike, a time for sharing the good news of the completed work of Christ. There's no better time in history to live than this one. To see with our own eyes how God is working among the nations building one spiritual family out of such a diverse global population. What an amazing thing that we get to see. You know, a few years ago, Matt Domzik and I took a, a trip to Turkey to visit our missionaries there. While we were there, we had the opportunity to attend a worship service of a local church. And in so many ways, we were different from these other worshipers. We didn't look like them. We didn't speak their language. We didn't dress exactly the same way. But you know what was true of all of us? Every single one of us there had the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us. We were part of one spiritual family. And we celebrated communion together as a church family on that Sunday. I mean, what a precious thing. You know, every one of us the Americans present and the Turks present and the, uh, the other ethnic groups represented in that church. We were all Gentiles. If we had lived before the present dispensation, we would know nothing of the God of heaven. What an amazing time to be alive. What a high privilege it is to be a minister of the gospel, a man called to be a servant of Christ and the church, to be the herald of this wonderful news. Honestly, I cannot understand why a person, given the high privilege of becoming a pastor, would want to throw away that privilege to do things like advocate political causes or get tangled up into social issues or to do any of the other things that we see pastors doing today. I don't understand them. You have the greatest message ever given to a person. The message of the, of the living and crucified and risen Savior. Message about forgiveness of sins. About the glories of heaven. The terrors of hell. Your message is to call people to believe in Christ for your everlasting good. Your job is to warn people and to teach people using the words of God that they might be made fully mature in Christ. There's no greater job than that. Why would you give it up for something less? Friends, this teaches us something else about Christ, that He is an all-sufficient Savior. Do you see that today? That Christ, through His life, and death and resurrection has secured our salvation. Forgiveness of sins have been uh, secured for all who will believe. And you know what? He didn't just die for your sins and then rise again, but He also indwells you when you believe. He gives you every spiritual resource, every day of your life for, for living and for being godly in this world. He is an all-sufficient Savior. You know, the Apostle Paul was really concerned about the, 
The uh, believers in Colossae, they were being hit on all sides with these different philosophies and religious practices. They were wondering if they needed to adopt these to live lives pleasing to God. And throughout this letter, Paul is saying, no, you don't need those things. All you need is Christ. He's preeminent. He's all sufficient. Do we not see that here? He doesn't just die for us, but he lives within us. He gives us all that we need. My friends, you don't need anything besides Christ for life and godliness. You don't need books from self-help gurus. You don't need to import practices from other religious traditions. You don't need the secular philosophies swirling about us. You just need Christ. And Christ is found in the written words that God has given to us through his apostles and prophets. My friend, what a time of life. What a gift we've received. Let's pray together and thank God for what he has done. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be alive at this time in history. Lord, we are Gentiles living on the other side of the planet, and yet... Your spirit has come to us. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for letting us live in these times. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the stewardship that you've given to us. Lord, help the pastors of this church to understand the the glory of the ministry as you have given it to them. That they might not be tempted to drift to the left or to the right, but that they would stay on the the path that you have laid out. They would be faithful in the communication of the mysteries of Christ to the joy of all who receive that message. Lord, continue to build this church and strengthen it, continue to prosper it, continue to use it to fulfill your grand purposes in the world. Lord, we pray for the global church today. Some parts of the church are prospering. Other parts are enduring great trials. But Lord, as the Spirit of Christ indwells each member of his church, would you please use your Spirit to minister to theirs. Help them to bear up under every trial. Lord, might your church continue to grow. Might you give us the joy of witnessing the growth and health of your church. And Lord, would you send your son back soon so that he can consummate the salvation that he has begun in us. Lord, for this we long, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.